Chapter 29, <laughs> page 172, Toward Healing. It's like seeing a word you're not familiar with. You don't know its meaning yet, but you recognize the handwriting, Zhao Zhou. Nandi, are you with us? I am with us. Good. The first koan in the first koan collection, the Blue Cliff Record, opens with some poignancy on a failed conversation between Bodhidharma. Do you, do you guys know this story about Bodhidharma and, and Emperor Wu? Because it, it's pretty important. No. Oh. Let's, let's look at that. And I talked with Peg today about our future in depth and practice. And she agreed with the idea of just doing koans and doing the John Tarrant book, who was Joan Sutherland's teacher first, and then doing the complete book of 100 koans. So that's going to be like two and a half year project. Oh, wonderful. Oh, great. There's 100 koans in the, it's a book of serenity, which is the Zen collection. And then there's 15 in, in John Tarrant's book. So first we'll do that. And then, uh, and then the other. Okay. So, um, but I, I think this, this story, this is an actual con and it's so beautiful. And maybe we'll read Joan Sutherland at the end <laughs> again, you know. Are you going to read about the, the story or? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have it found okay. and now, now I'm going to share it. Okay. okay, you can see it? Yes. According to Buddhist tradition, Bodhidharma, the Zen patriarch of China, came to visit Emperor Wu around 520. The emperor told Bodhidharma that he had built temples and given financial supports to the monastic community and asked the patriarch how much merit he had gained for those actions. Bodhidharma replied, none whatsoever. Perplexed, the emperor then asked the eminent man who, who he was to tell him such things, to which he answered, I know not. Bodhidharma then left the imperial court to continue his travels throughout China. This account of the legendary encounter typifies Zen's uncompromising teaching method. The dialogue appears in the first case and so on. The encounter between the two was first recorded in 758. <laughs> Imagine that, uh, 228 years later, in the appendix to a text by, okay, and that's the story. So, um, and it's a good koan for, for Nelda, you know, why did he had get no merit from doing all these things? Because, and because if everything is empty, it's like no gift, no giver, no receiver. No, so that's 
I, I, that, by the way, makes perfect sense to me that there's no giver, no receiver, no gift. So there is no merit. There is no, there's nothing that, that attaches as a result, even when we do things that appear what we generally call generous, the same thing. Even if we do things, as you help me learn, that appear compassionate, there is no, nothing attaches to us. But everything creates karma, does it not? No, only volitional actions. Yes, but certainly, I mean, the, the, the emperor giving Dana was a volitional action, no? Yes, it was. Uh, and, oh, and, and um, that doesn't mean merit and karma are different. I'm aware of that. Yeah. That's not my point. Oh, my so point he, it did produce merit, a karma, yes. Yes. So, I mean, only volitional actions, us, us mere humans, I would say uh, most of our acts of body, speech, and mind, uh, these, are, these are creating karma. <laughs> yes. But what the pa patriarch asked was how much merit because basically yes, know, he wanted think, he wanted to be uh, reborn into another element of that is um the um the emperor the bodhidharma is messing with his ego so so yeah i think what nelda said is is spot on okay but uh, they're talking on different levels you well know, what one is on like, the mundane and one is on the absolute level what the um, like the Burmese, they keep a log book of the merit that they create by giving money to the to the monks and so forth, uh -huh. so that they will be reborn into something cool, uh -huh. rather than into something <laughs> a snake or something. So that's I think that's what the emperor Wu wanted to do to make sure that he had good eternal you know future lives, right. He's securing his uh, place in the whole scheme of things. <laughs> and, and so that's really the koan for me is why did he not get any merit from all these things? And then the next question would be, how do you get merit? Like, ah. so I don't know the answer to that. So, Kim, that word merit looks like it's underlined, highlighted. Does, does, is this what it's? Yes. So merit is a concept considered fundamental to Buddhist ethics. It is a beneficial and protective force that accumulates as a result of good deeds, acts, or thoughts, which is a little contrary to yeah. merit making is important to Buddhist practice. Merit brings good and agreeable results, determines the quality of the next life, and contributes to a person's growth toward enlightenment. In addition, merit is also shared with a deceased loved one in order to help the deceased in their new existence. Despite modernization, merit-making remains essential in tradition Buddhist countries and has had a significant impact in the rural economies in these countries. Merit is connected with notions of purity and goodness. Before Buddhism, merit was used 
with regard to ancestral worship, but in Buddhism it gained a more general ethical meaning. Merit is a force that results from good deeds done. So that's different. It is capable of attracting good circumstances in a person's life. And I mean, you guys probably know the Buddha pointed to several different levels of uh, what was called dana, you know, what was called giving, which could, you know, relates to making merit. Um, you know, the, the one level being, you know, I'm giving things that I no longer need or want, for example. And then another level being, you know, I'm, I'm giving because other people have need and I'm sharing things that, uh, that I need, but that perhaps others need more or that I'm willing to go without or whatever. So, I mean, there's many different levels of this. Um, These are different kinds of merit here, giving virtue, mental development, honoring others, offering service, mm -hmm. dedicating, rejoicing in others' merit, listening to Buddhist teaching, instructing, you know. And in our echo that we do, we offer the merit of our practice for the welfare of all beings. So we're giving our practice to, to others. We're practicing for others. Okay. Okay. Thank you for for pausing for that. The first who's reading? Am I still reading? If you want to be. Okay. <laughs> the first koan in the first koan collection, the Blue Cliff Record, opens with some poignancy on a failed conversation between Bodhidharma, a missionary of vast emptiness, and Wu, the Buddha heart emperor, embodiment of a well-lived life. They couldn't find an understanding that reconciled their different perspectives, and they departed company forever. Years later, when Bodhidharma died, the emperor said, I saw him without see seeing him. I met him without meeting him. I still regret this deeply. This existential regret, the feeling that you've missed something essential in your life, is where the koan collections begin. So the way I've taken the Bodhidharma, the story is that he didn't get merit because he was doing these things with the intention of getting merit. Um, you know, and what Nelda and I were talking about is the difference of doing things because it needs to be done and doing things for some ulterior motive or for compassion or, so, you know, or however, it will make me a good. The Buddha indicated that it was still good. It's just an immature. It's it's still better than nothing. Even if you give out of a selfish reason. You're still giving. There is still benefit for others. But it's, it's an immature giving. It's not a, 
a giving born of deep understanding, but it, it, for nothing. That's very true in Judaism too, where what's important is that you've helped the community. And if you do it for the worst reason, you it's still like, you know, a good thing because you've helped others. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's important to, to start somewhere because it sounds like the emperor from what you just read, Kim, later in his life, he realized some things. And it could have been because of Bodhidharma's. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to add that in the Christian tradition, there's a similar story. It's one of the first ones. It's the story of Cain and Abel, whereas Abel um, was giving a gift to God from his heart. Cain was competing with his brother for God's favor. And then as a result of God re not rejecting his gift necessarily, but saying, it's just not a proper way to give. Um, then Cain got furious and killed his brother. So, you know, it goes back to our practice in terms of Intent can create karma one way or another. The action itself can create both merit and karma one way or another. Um, I think intent, the heart with which, with which we give, and I think that's what Bodhidharma was saying to um, Emperor Wu, you're not giving with the right heart, with the right orientation, which is just give. It's what's necessary. Do it because it's necessary. One of my favorite um, teachers, a philosophy teacher, he used to say, I'd rather have a good scholar than a good student. You know, and a good student is pleasing the teacher where a good scholar is interested in learning. I mean, that was his distinction, I think. So it's a similar thing. It's why he was giving. There's a current Burmese guy who's all through the world building hospitals and libraries and schools. I don't know exactly why, but but it's a similar situation to what the emperor did. There's okay. I think it is Nelda's. I mean, uh, Malen's turn to read. Oh, did I finish the paragraph? Yes. Good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. In the epigraph, Sazuk looks at the world and sees all he doesn't understand, all that might be cause for regret. He also sees the way he and everything, including what he doesn't understand, are part of the great sutra written in a heart, in a hand, he has come to recognize. I'm sorry. Can you go back, please? Sure. This gives rise to the deepest kind of trust. How fascinating and moving then to try to understand each word, each person, each event, as it appears in the sutra. And it, it is no small thing to know all the way through that you too, every yoy, every way you have been bent by the winds of the world, every memory treasured or banished, every love, 
and every terrible encounter are written in that hand. Um, continuing on my path of distraction, um, I was just dipping into uh, the Access to Insight website that talks about giving. And they, just to, to say, they talk about uh, the intention of the giving, of the giver. They also talk about um, the recipient, sort of mm -hmm. where they're at. And then they talk about the nature of the gift. And um, the, what I was trying to remember were the, um, the, 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 what they call the eight motives for giving. And I'm just going to um, read those if folks don't mind, because I think- No, that would be great. Okay. So um, the first is um, one gives with annoyance or as a way of offending the recipient or with the idea of insulting him. Two. Fear can motivate a person to make an offering. Three, one gives in return for a favor done to oneself in the past. Four, one also may give with the hope of getting a similar favor for oneself in the future. Five, one gives because giving is considered good. Six, I cook, they do not cook. It is not proper for me who cooks not to give to those who do not cook. So some give urged by such altruistic motives. Seven, some give alms to gain a good reputation. Eight, others give alms to adorn and beautify the mind. Mm -hmm. So, and they're, they're not going to read them all, but they're similar, um, qualities with respect to the giver, to the recipient, to the gift, and actually the manner of giving. Um, so, which also, you know, Judaism also um, speaks of this, the right hand shouldn't know what the left hand is doing. Um, things like this. I'm sure there's similar things in Christianity. But anyway, I just, I think it's a really rich area for explanation because it's not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like this. It's not like some specific thing. Um, and you know, Buddha also said we should we should reflect on uh, the 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 things that we have done that are positive, which which might be giving offerings or it might be anything else, but that this helps uh, beautify the mind, which helps incline the mind towards more skillful behavior and to to freeing the mind. So, anyway, sorry. Okay. No, thank you. Very very helpful. There's also an idea of the giver, the gift, and the receiver all being one. Yes, yes. And that's that's been important to me because I've never, um, what's always spurs me to give is not thinking of, of us being separate. So I haven't, nothing's left my hand to go to somewhere else. Mm. 
And uh, I think I got that from my parents mm -hmm. because they gave so uh, freely and without um, any thought except that it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. Okay. You were just I, around that. You saw things working that way. Yeah. Um, so is Nelda reading now? I think Nandia. The Great okay. Sutra is incomplete, still in the making, and so are we. Each of us is a small world inside the larger one, ragged, unfinished, magnificent. Bumping into this incompleteness bruises us, sometimes badly. Some of the struggles we take on in response to this incompleteness are ennobling, rousing us to make the world more of a home for ourselves and others. This is our contribution and our fate. We of the hands and eyes, the ordinary genius and devotion, still there remain the lesser fights within, knee-jerk reactions, prejudices, compulsions, defenses against no known enemy that sap our strength and distract us from the struggles that matter. Part of keeping company with koans is about disentangling from the lesser fights so that we can see without distraction the graces and challenges of the world and how it's not yet done quality also allows us to imagine something different. If in the beginning we're often pushed by the urgency of our discomfort, over time we're also pulled by something that becomes more compelling. In my experience, it's not enough to hate suffering, either your own or others. For awakening to deepen itself, there has to be something you love, something you want to keep faith with, something you're entirely willing to be vulnerable to. The altar in our meditation hall always had a statue of a bodhisattva on it. During one retreat, we replaced the statue with an, with an ammonite, a large spiral fossil hundreds of millions of years old. People loved it, and the ammonite stayed, which was just as well because it was very heavy. It reminded us of the grandeur <laughs> and the persistence of the field in which all that meditating and ruminating and periodic bustle was taking place, and that the field contains so much more than the human. It reminded us how were such young manifestations of something primordial, like birds in their first season darting through an ancient forest. It reminded us what holds us up and where our deepest allegiances lie. And, you know, at Appamata, we have a stone on the altar from Switzerland, as opposed to a Buddha. But you also have a, a statue of him, right? Of Bodhidharma, yes, up on the, uh, up on the fireplace. Mm. 
Okay, so uh, it's my, is this in at the top of the page? Yeah. From time to time, the scrolls of the Great Sutra get tears in them. The heel is to be willing to mend and go and mending. Oh, you know what? It's tears. It's the same pronunciation as tears. It actually works either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. The idea <laughs> that they were crying. Oh. <laughs> okay, go on. To heal is to be willing to, ma to mend and go and man on mending and to keep glancing up at the beauties of the not yet done world as you do so that it mends you in its turn. Sometimes that happens in the grand, grand moment when the universe displays its wonders most extravagantly. Often it is in the small moments when, the catch, when we catch the universe up close. The consolation of small moments appears in one con commentary in the form of a dog carrying a right, a what? Writ. A writ of amnesty. Am yeah, go on. In her mouth. That dog's unconditionally joyful greeting at the end of uh, whatever kind of day you have had and what that instantly does to your heart are reminders unfinished con to you are that you are of something already free and at peace with you i think a writ is like a document mm -hmm. okay um i'm sorry my nephew is like about to have a baby. Um, I, I have to answer this phone call. Okay. Yes, yes of course. So, uh, uh, I think it's you then, Nelda. Yes. Chapter 30, home. The moon shines on the river. Wind stirs the pines. Whose gift is this long, beautiful evening? Yangjia Zhuanju, am I saying it right? Zhuanju, Zhu? Well, that's how I'm saying it. Okay, the moon shines on the river, wind stirs in the pine. Whose gift, Whose is, this gift long... is this long, beautiful evening? That's wonderful. It is, isn't it? You might start out thinking that home is a distant destination, but it, but it long ago drew near waiting for you to notice. One more time. You might, you might start out thinking that home is a distant destination, but it long ago drew near waiting for you to notice. You might start out thinking that you're doing the searching, but everything is reaching out to everything looking to find home in each other. Isn't that beautiful? This is what our call and response of the world is about. Like fellow travelers in the mist, mist, listening for each other, carrying the lanterns of home inside us. 
or dolphins pinging one another and whales singing to each other across great distances in the murky sea. Even the delicate fingers of the vastness slowly peel back something delicate in you, layer by layer, looking to find home in you. The koans are for that too, holding you steady while the universe settles at the root of your breath. All of this is why awakening is called becoming intimate, becoming kin. The Chinese character for home has a roof at its top, as do words for space and time, which combine to make universe. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Our shelter is both close and vast. Its roof is made of rafters and the open sky. Its eaves stretch during the duration of our lives into the deep past and the deep future. Kim, it's, it's eaves stretch beyond the duration. Oh, I, 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 how did I read it? It doesn't matter. During, you said during the duration of our lives. Oh, the, it's eaves stretch beyond the duration of our lives into the deep past and the deep future. Thank you. This home is fiance and burden state. What spreads in all directions when our habits of exile have fallen away. And we are simply returned. But it is not something apart from the incompleteness of this world, which is also our home. They coexist, occupying the same space at the same time. In some Mahayana philosophy, there are two vessels or caves inside us that also occupy the same space. We spoke of one in pregnant, Tathagata Garba, the womb of Buddhas, which is the Buddha nature abiding in potential with us, within us. The other is Alaya Vishnana, that's storehouse consciousness, which is the place in our heart minds where everything experience we have, where every experience we have, every thought and feeling drifts down and is held, creating the seeds of our future experiences. Two kinds of gestation gone in those vessels, that of the storehouse of experiences which continues our lives in the world, and that of the womb of Buddhas which opens up us to the vastness right in the middle of that life. If you are a koan person, which means that you are without a catechism of beliefs, and Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have the same spiritual density as freeway walls and the harvest moon, and yet you overflow with wonder at being alive, what ceremony fits? 
When you're aware that any moment stretches from one end of the universe to the other, from before time to after, the moment itself already feels like plenty of ceremony. What could we possibly offer, like a shy covered dish carried to the potluck in a church basement, a basement full of all the walking, flying, swimming, and rooted tribes of the world, and all its mountains, oceans, and skies? I've long carried a story about a wedding kimono tucked under my robes next to my skin. A traditional Japanese countrywoman named Nanjo Shawako began sewing such a kimono for her daughter, uh, Naoko, when she was still a little girl, as was the custom. But Nanjo Naoko didn't grow up to get married and settle down in their small village. She became an international photojournalist. She, she died covering the war, Afghan war, in the 1980s. Her mother, who said she had hoped for a normal common life for her daughter, who had never left her village before, heard a call and responded, adding a moment of extraordinary grace to the story of the world. She made the dangerous journey to the front lines in Afghanistan, carrying the kimono. She found her daughter's grave, marked with a simple wooden stake, and wrapped her body in the kimono. I'm just going to announce at this pause that Jake Miles has been born. Oh! And he's weighing eight pounds, 10 ounces, and just in those very few minutes that I was off the phone talking to uh, off the off this this thingy talking to my sister, we managed to get in an argument already. And I just family is just so great, just so amazing. So and now there's this new little being to like instead of rallying around, we can batten down the hatches and only invite in selected guest family members. Mm -hmm. So, all right, we now return to our regular scheduled program. <laughs> I delight in this, um, in this new life force in our world. Thank you for sharing that. And in, in what we're reading this, this, child or young woman dies, a photojournalist, and now we have a birth. Ah, yes. Mm. Thank so you. Who, Thank who's you. reading? It's me, Mila. Okay. A mother blesses her daughter's life, even if it isn't the life we could have chosen for her. Isn't even a life she entirely understands, but it has her daughters and she gives it her blessing, but it was her daughter, sorry, and she gives it her blessing. She doesn't turn her love away from what is painful. Isn't this the ceremony that reveals the home in any moment? Even if this is not always the life I could have chosen for myself, if I don't understand why some things have happened the way they have, 
it is mine and I bless it. I bless this life that has been given into my care. It is home. I, I like that, this line here. Um, isn't that nice? Even if this is not always the life I would have chosen for myself, even if I don't understand why some things that have happened the way they have, it is mine and I bless it. I bless this life that has been given into my care. It is home. Mm, that's just beautiful. Wow. It is great to remind that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm going to send this whole page to someone very close to me right now. And I'm going to hold it for myself too. It's beautiful. It just makes me feel so sad. I feel so sad right now. I feel like I should be like so happy that this baby's born and it's healthy and the mother is healthy. And this is such a beautiful sentence. And I embrace this sentence and I feel so sad right now. Oh. Somebody else needs to read. I'll, I'll do the next one. And I'm so sorry. And your sister sounds very scared. As I don't know, that's that may be a story making up, but very scared and needing to control who can be there or not. So I'll move on to the paragraph. <laughs> This is such a deeply koan story to me, made of unknowing and love, mending even in sorrow, especially in sorrow, holding a question on a 4,000 mile journey as though the question itself were home. You want to read another chapter or you want to stop here? I know Nelda is packing, aren't you? Yes. For um, South America tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday morning at 8. Oh, Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday morning at 8. But I have plenty to do, so if we stopped, that would be fine, too. But if we went on, that would be fine, too. What is, uh, what is South America? What are you... So I'm a gypsy at heart, meaning, meaning I love roaming the world without a, without a permanent home, um, but also love coming back to home in any number of ways. And it's just one more place to explore. Um, I'm going to Brazil and Argentina, but what primarily draws me there is the Iguazu Falls. I saw a picture of them. I see pictures of places. And, and then I put an intention out into the world that I will go see that place one day. And as it turns out, I'm going to go see Guasu Falls, which is supposed to be just stunning. And then today when I went to physical therapy, I 
I was talking with the physical therapist about my trip. He said, I went to a beautiful place with falls. And I said, oh, where was that? He said, Croatia. He said, I've been to about 50 countries. I thought, oh, my gosh, I wish I'd. Well, no, whatever. He said, I've been to about 50 countries. And I said, which have you thought were the most beautiful? He said, Croatia tops the list. I'm like, there's another country that's going to go on my list now. <laughs> so, but anyway, the question was. Wait, wait, wait. You froze and I didn't hear what he said. About which was the country he right. thought was most Croatia. Oh, Beautiful waterfalls, beautiful mountains, be just beautiful. He said stunning. And he's been to about 50 countries. I don't know if he's counting Caribbean islands, but they count as a independent nation. Anyway, the question is what takes me there. Um, my love of exploring new places and people. And Iguazu Falls. Will you, will you be down there for a while? Two weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, a week in Brazil and a week in Argentina. Well, journey well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Are you going by yourself? No, I'm going with um, a junior high school friend and, <laughs> and a couple who she and I met. She and I went on a month-long trip to China seven years ago. And we met this delightful couple. He's a doctor and she's a nurse. And so ever since then, we've talked about and actually planned trips together. Uh, right, right after COVID, no, right before, it doesn't matter. At some point, I've lost track. of. We had scheduled and purchased everything to go to um, Vietnam, Vietnam, Cambodia, and one other country. And wow. I got, yeah, I got an infection, so I couldn't go on that trip. So we're meeting up with Rod and Holly because we just so enjoyed and delighted in each other's company. We were with each other a month, right? <laughs> so, and by the way, he's a doctor, she's a nurse. So I feel like, I feel so safe. <laughs> So safe going to South America with them or anywhere. <laughs> so, oh, thank you for your interest in my journey. Thank you. And we still have a little book, bit of book left for next time. Yeah, for next time. And I'll, I'm going to take this book with me and reread it. This will be my, my book for the trip. And I'll think of you all, I'll think, I'll think of you, <laughs> all of y'all, when I uh, get to that last chapter. Okay.